in the news lately, and, and actually dating back to 2013 sometime, if my mind serves me correctly, and if Wikipedia is an accurate source about this, I, I don't usually promote Wikipedia, but I thought it might be the best source for this. There's been a very controversial issue in the news, and it's known as Black Lives Matter. I, I really have never searched it out to try to understand what their point of view is, so I did a little research. I hope you can bear with me for a few tidbits of information. Uh, Black Lives Matter, or BLM, is an international activist movement originating in the African-American community that campaigns against violence and racism towards black people. BLM regularly holds protests speaking out against police killings of black people. Broader issues such as racial profiling, police brutality, and racial inequality in the United States criminal justice system. This started back in 2013 with the hashtag Black Lives Matter on social media after uh, a white man was acquitted of shooting a black person. And, I'm, and this is it's a very big and very controversial uh, movement. I don't know if it creates in you any kind of animosity or bitterness or anger. I know for me it's not something that I, I look fondly on. Uh, it has created, you know, I'm sure across America, it has created barriers between people. It has joined other people together. It's made enemies worse enemies. It's probably divided families. I know where I came from. It's caused some problems in the church because some people are very, being very vocal about the Black Lives Matter, even though it's an all-white community, and there's no racism at all in there, but there's, it's creating this animosity between some black people and some white people. And I have to say, and I don't know, I think everybody will probably agree with this, but I have to say that to some extent, I agree with, the, with Black Lives Matter. And you know the part I agree with is that Black Lives Matter. I, I, I grew up in a black and white neighborhood when I was in Spokane. Uh, my neighbors next door were black, and they, they were a lot of fun. I went to a black church one time. I tried to spend the night. I, was, I, wasn't, I didn't have enough courage to do that, but we played together all the time. His dad had a candy truck. And he snuck candy to us. You know, I mean, what can you say about that? Uh, I had my best, one of my best friends at school was black. His name was Lee Jackson. Uh, there was a little girl that we took to, to church. Her name was Trisha Nicoy. We'd, we'd pick her up every Sunday, and when we went to Awana, we'd take her with us. I have black in my family. I have a sister who's mulatto, which is half black and half white. We adopted her when she was three years old, but she came to us when she was three days old. And my parents fostered her and eventually adopted her. She married a, a black man from Chicago, which is about as black as black gets as, as people go, and they have two black babies. But that's not why I say black lives matter. If I had never met a black person or had never been related to a black person, I would still have to say black lives matter because God created them that way. But guess what? White lives matter too. Spanish lives matter. People who speak German, people who speak uh, French, every, every, every person in every walk of life, their life matters because God created them that way, right? Anybody agree? All lives matter. And today we're going to get to the point to look at, you know what, all life matters from the unborn to my 12-year-old son who turned 12 yesterday to the person who's 88 or 90 or 105 that's just waiting for what's next. All life matters. We're going to be seeing four different things in their bulletin listed on the back, we're going to be seeing that God has a design for the man he creates. God has a plan for, 
for the man that he created. God has a process for how he creates, and God has the destination. That's only four things that God has done with mankind, which proves how special all lives are. And we're going to look at those today. I'm sure we could go in on and on. More and more examples and more and more ways, but those are the four we're going to be looking at today. So, we're going to be doing something that's a little bit different than what I usually do. Usually, I, I, I'm in a passage and I stay there. Uh, this Today's, I hope your fingers are limber. <laughs> you warm them up because we're going to be kind of moving around the Bible a little bit. So, if, if we're going to be in the Old Testament. We're going to be in the New Testament. Uh, the, the bulletin actually has, any kids who are following along, it says match the, the, the passage with the, the point. Any kid who does that after fills this out accurately, I got suckers, all right? So after, after church today, we can, you show me that you got it right. So that's something that will help keep you awake as well. Uh, but So let's start with the very first thing is that God has a design. We find in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, that God has a design. It's the very first book of the Bible. It should be pretty easy for everybody to find. Let me read it for you. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Now the very first part of that says, let us make man in our image. I'm not going to try to get into what that exactly means, except for you know that that's the Trinity. That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, let us make man in our image. Now, before we see what does that mean that God created man in his image, I want to point out what that does not mean. It does not mean that our physical shape, I got two arms and two legs and a head and ears, means that that's how God created me in his image. You know, how many, if, you, if you got to thinking that's how it was, how, how could that really be possible? You have such a wide uh, diversity, a, a wide variety of people. You have different colors. You have different heights. You have, diff you have people with squinty eyes. You have little people. You have people that are, are male and people who are female. And you have people that are black and people who are white. So it's just, it's just really hard to think that it could be their physical body. There's people who are born without a limb. I, I had friends like that. A kid had this prosthetic leg. It was fun to play football with him, except for when he decided he didn't like you, it would hurt. Uh, but there's people who are born with extra fingers and extra toes. It's not a physical body that was created in God's image. Actually, God doesn't even have a physical body. John 4.24 says that God is spirit. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere, but he does not have a body. So he, he did not create us in a physical body that was like his. But what it does mean, it means lots of different things. The first thing is it means that we are special. We are specially made. If you, if you look through the days of creation... God created the stars, and God created this, the moon, and, and he created the sunshine, and the trees, and the fish, and he created the, the zebras, he created all the animals, and guess what he said about all those things? He said those were good, but the only thing that God created in his image are people. Not their physical structure, but it's something about the inside of us. One of those things that he did was he gave us a spirit. God is spirit. He says, I'm going to put my spirit inside of people. And that spirit is not temporary. That spirit is going to last forever, which we're going to look at that in a little bit. God gives the ability to think, the ability to reason, 
the ability to choose right and wrong. God gave us a free will. God gave us the ability to pray, the ability to communicate with him, the ability to have a relationship with him. God did not do that for anybody else. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to the Wanted Kids about this, and I used the example of my dog trouble. A little Jack and White Russell Terrier dog. And it's, this, is, this is my dog. It, it's, it's a dog that just is attached to me, does not really like kids, doesn't really like women. What's left, right? You got me, and I love this dog. But guess what? As far as I know, when life is over for that dog, when he takes his last little doggy breath, that's it. He does not have a soul. He is not going to heaven. He has life in him because God gave him life, but he doesn't have a soul. He doesn't do, he does not have the ability to reason and to choose right and wrong. I mean, he's learned, you know, he learns that you don't go potty in the house. He learns you don't bite the hand that feeds you. He's learned to come when you call him, but he doesn't have the ability to decide what really is the right thing, what's the wrong thing. He just realizes if I do this, it's good, and if I do that, it's bad. He doesn't have the ability to pray. He doesn't bark and say, God, get these people to open the door for me. It's cold outside. He doesn't pray and say, thank you for the food. He doesn't say, please, God, make these people change what I'm eating. He doesn't have the ability to do that things. He's just an animal. I love him dearly, but all he is is a dog. He was not created in God's image. Now, God created man in his image, right? Everybody's getting that clue. I'm in his image. It's something special just to humans. And if God has created us in his image, guess what? We should act like we're in his image. You know, when you, when you have a, uh, the Vikings are playing today, and so are the, pack, or, uh, the Patriots, and so are the Jaguars and the Eagles, and we're all rooting for the Vikings, right, for the sake of Todd, right? Now, when, he goes, when all those players get their helmets on and they go rushing onto the field, what do they look like? What do their helmets look like? They all look exactly the same, right? They're, they're, that's what the idea is, that they're all a team. They don't look like, well, it's pretty close. No, they are exact replicas of what the other, the other pictures are. When you get a camera and you take a picture, guess what? It's an exact replica, and that's the way we like it. You want that in every area of life. Now, you probably have all been wondering, what the heck is going on with this all day? Well, I just want you to know something. That on Monday, this is, this is something that the church purchased for our parsonage. Uh, the bathroom's getting redone, and this was purchased for the basement. It looks pretty nice, right? Everybody see that? And how many people say, hey, I'd like to have one of those? You'd like the color white, or you can paint it and change it? And we, obviously, it doesn't have the clock and the towels and all that kind of stuff, because it's, it didn't come with that. As far as the structure goes, it's, it looks nice, and everybody wants it. Now... Uh, I want to show you what we actually got. Okay, you look, and if you, I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to carry this very far. I'll just, if you look, anybody see anything that's missing? Yeah, what do you see that's missing? Go ahead, Tristan, what is it? No, that's not what's missing. What's missing is this one little strip right here. I'll lift it up again. Can you see what's missing? Look, look what's on. This. Now, how close does that look like the box? It looks pretty close, right? It looks really nice, but it's not an exact replica. How many people here are going to be satisfied with this cabinet? It's white. Yeah. Okay, good. We got a little boy that's going to be satisfied. <laughs> it's white. 
It's got the same shape, but guess what? We just bought this. It's brand new. And no, I did not put it together wrong. I Because <laughs> I know that's your first thought. Well, it must be on the backside. No, they just forgot to put that thing on. It's pretty close. Now, a lot of people, I'll just leave that here. Hopefully, it's not too distracting. But a lot of people, when it comes to being like God, like he made us in his image, they say, I'm satisfied with being close. But you look and you say, I don't want that. I want to take it back, and I want a brand new one that's completely exactly what it's supposed to look like. Now, obviously, we're not going to be able to do that 100%. But that doesn't mean that you don't make it your goal to be exactly like God as you can be, right? So, God made us in his image. It's something that's special, that's only unique to us. We should try to live that out to be exactly like him as possible, the way we'd want this cabinet actually to be. Okay, so we're created in God's image. The second thing is that when God created us, God had a plan for us. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 to, four to 5. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. says, The word of the Lord came to me, meaning Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet for the nations. Now, obviously, this is somebody very special. He was appointed to be a prophet to the nations. He was supposed to be talking to the people of Israel, but he was also talking to the Gentile peoples. That's not something that anybody in here is going to be able to say, hey, me too. That is something specifically only to Jeremiah. But he says, before, before you were formed, before I, I know some people have, have taken pottery classes. I know on Thursday there was pottery classes. And you, you, you take the clay and you form it and you shape it to be exactly what you want it to be, whatever your skill set is. So before you were formed like pottery, before someone who's a woodworker chiseled away and hammered and shaped something into some structure, before you did that, he says, I knew you, Jeremiah. I knew what you were going to think. I, didn't knew, I knew your personality. I knew how you were going to handle what you were capable of. I knew what you were going to think about what I was going to ask you to do. I had a plan for you. And I chose you. I appointed you as a prophet, and I set you apart. I got a mission for you. But Jeremiah is not the only person. Anybody recognize the name of a, a man named Saul? Or, or also known as a man named Paul. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, and there's more to it. But the point is, Paul is recognizing that God set him apart from birth. Before he even knew what was going on, before he even knew what a Gentile was, or a Jew, or who God was, God says, I got a mission, I got a plan for you, Paul, that you're going to go and be my witness to the Gentile people. Before he was born, or even at the point of birth, he was set apart with a mission. God had a, a purpose for him. And there's others in the Bible, the man by the name of Isaiah. He has something similar prophesied about him. Now, it might be easy to say, oh yeah, well, duh, that's the Bible. Those are people that God has chosen specifically. That's not really me. You know, I'm nothing special. I'm just an average, ordinary person. Even if you feel like my life is spent or I have no idea what direction my life is going, guess what? This, this applies to you too. When God was talking to Jeremiah, you know, Jeremiah, uh, verse 6, when God told him that, he says, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. 
God, I think, is trying to reassure him that, wait a second, on your own you can't do anything, but that doesn't mean I still don't have a purpose for you. Do you think God only meant that for three people in the Bible, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Paul, and if, you, if you're not one of those, you're out of luck, God has no plan for you? No. God has a purpose and a plan that's going to be unique to you, that's going to be different from me, that's going to differ from Paul or Jeremiah or anybody else in the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, or if you are going to trust him as your Savior, he has appointed you for salvation. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. That's one thing he's got in store for you. If you put your faith in him, he wants you to be holy and blameless, and that's what he's predestined. In love, he predestined you to be adopted as his sons through faith, uh, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Before the creation of the world. How long ago was that? I mean, I'm guessing it's like six or 7,000 years ago. And if you want to get really crazy, it's 10,000. Or, or whatever point that is, it doesn't even matter. It's way before the world was even born. God says, I got a, a predestining people to be adopted as my sons, as my daughters, before they were even born. So that's one very special thing that God has only done for people and if you put your faith in him, that God has done for you. But that's not it. Ephesians 2.10. I keep shutting my Bible instead of staying in the same neighborhood. Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There is a great list of good works that God has in store for us to do. And it's going to vary differently between people. You know, you got the foxes who are freezing to death in Alaska. Obviously, Anita doesn't want to go. I don't think I want to go either. But I really don't want to go the other extreme either. But God has put people in Japan. Noah says, hey, I'd like to go to Japan. I don't think I can handle that seafood. Ugh. You know, I just couldn't handle that. I could handle the cold better. But you get the point that God has something different for each person that he wants them to do. Maybe it's something that's great, big, all earth-shattering and life-changing, or maybe it's something small, but it's something that he's called you to do. It might be that you are helping in Awana, or you're leading the Bible study, or you're teaching in a Sunday school, or you're the, the person who goes door-to-door, -door, or, or uh, you're sending off encouragement cards to people, or you're praying for people, and that's all you can do. I told you about that 90-year-old that friend that we had that all she could do was just, she was on her back. All she could do was pray. But guess what? For this time in her life, that's what she can do, and that's what she was doing. When she was younger, she was helping at BBS. She was doing all these things, but as she went through life, it changed, it varied, but it, it never got to the point where that's it. I don't, I don't have anything else to do. God has, I don't know, maybe thousands of things, situations that we're going to be in, prepared in advance for us to do good works. Now maybe, it, but it's, I'm not, I, as much as we might look and say, Wow, it was great for Jeremiah to know God gave him this special call. And for Saul, he got this special calling on his life, or even Isaiah. Guess what? There's a point where you find out that Jeremiah, A, at the moment, doesn't feel like he's qualified for it. But you, you find out later on in Jeremiah verses, or chapter 20, verses 14 to 18, he is really not happy uh, with, with this situation that he's in. God gave him this call. So it doesn't mean just because... God has given you this special call that you're going to enjoy it. He says, Cursed be the day that I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Because he was so miserable trying to do what God wanted. 
when Paul was given his special assignment to the Gentiles. Uh, he, was, he was blind for a little while, and a man named Ananias said, I want you to go talk to Paul and help him to see, and I want him to know how much he must suffer for my name. And if you know the story, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, of all the things that Paul had to go through. But it, it was, God said, I got a special call in your life. So just because, wow, they got this special calling, or you got a special calling on your life, doesn't mean it's going to be something that you're excited to do. But God has a special plan for you. So quick recap. God made you in his image. He made you in his likeness. It's something that's unique only to the human race. It's not your physical structure. It's something about what's inside of you. It's your spirit that's eternal, the ability to think and the ability to reason, the ability to have this relationship with him. And then God says, I got a plan for your life before it even began. You know, and if God cared so much about mankind that he was able or willing to invest that much before they even were conceived, that he, was, that he was going to make them in his likeness, that he was going to have a plan for their life, how much more do you think he cares about life after conception? Because this is the right to life Sunday, so I'm trying to hammer this, that at conception the world says, oh yeah, you're like this big. You know, that doesn't even really matter. Uh, you know, or, or you're like this big. At what point does a body become a body or a baby become a baby? Is it when they're, they have a heartbeat? Is it when they have their fingers, when they have their toes? Is it when they actually come out of the womb? At what point is life life? It doesn't matter what point the world wants to say that's life. God cared about each of us before creation. He cared about us before we were born. And even through conception all the way to the point of death, which we're going to look at for our destination, God cares about that whole process. If, if he cares so much about us before we were born, how much more does he care about us after the fact that we are born? Okay, so now... Look at, let's go to Psalms 139, verses 13, 13 through 16, and look at kind of the process that God has about when he created us. Psalms 139, verses 13 through 16. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from me when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So the first thing it says, uh, you created my inmost being. And in the King James, it, it's worded differently. But what it's talking about is very the, the very inner side of who you are. All the, the parts of your body that you can't just look and see. I mean, I could take off my shirt and you're just going to see skin, right? You're not going to see what's on the in, inside. You're not going to see my stomach or my kidneys or my lungs or anything like that. And hopefully we'll never see that because that means something bad is going on physically if, if you guys need to see that. But he, every part of me was made special. I just want you to look at your neighbors and say, you were created special. Okay, we're going to back up a little bit. We're going to start and say, you were created in God's image. Okay, God has a plan for your life. Okay, so now we'll say that you were created special. Okay, thank you. I just want to make sure everybody understands that. And it says that, it says your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And I know it's easy at times to say, boy, I... I really don't like this about myself. I wish I was taller. I wish my hair color was different. I wish that I was more athletic or I could draw better. I wish that I 
could have the skill that Caleb does on the basketball court. I wish I could have that, but obviously I don't. But guess what? It doesn't matter. God made a wonderful work in you. You're unique, you're special from everybody else, but you're still wonderful. And at verse 16, uh, let, me, let me read it. It says, Your eyes saw my unformed body before I was born, and while I was being created, every step of that process. I need to come back to verse 13. It says, You knit me together in my mother's womb. You know, when God put us together, he, he made us have a bone structure that runs through our whole body. We have tendons that runs through our bodies. We have veins. We have muscles. We have blood veins. We have uh, skin. All sorts of these connecting things. Now, that's a little different from the Lego guy, right? Well, I was watching this, this Lego movie with Noah the other day, and this, this little Lego man named Lloyd lost his arm. Just popped out of the socket, and his dad's like, oh, uh, well, let's stick this thing in there, and let's stick this sword in there. And he's like, I just want my arm. But you know what? That was just like plastic. We were interwoven and especially connected. You can't just cut off my arm and replace it with something. Every part is intertwined. Every part is special. And so that's how God made us. He made us together. When you get your little sticks and you start weaving, everything's interwoven together and connected. That's kind of like a picture of how we are made. In verse 16, it says, All the days ordained for me were written before one of them came to be. Now, it's, it's always funny how you hear things throughout a week that you can throw at a message if you really want to. I had two quick conversations on Thursday, one with Todd and one with Emil, about how, how short life can be and how the length of life and how we don't have control of it. I, I think Emil, I don't know if I'll say it exactly, but he said it was, it's already written down. Like whatever last day that you're getting, it's already written down. Now, you might be thinking like, well, what about people who commit suicide or people who murder or people who are babies who are aborted in the womb? Guess what? God has control over that. God is sovereign. He allows things to happen, but those things only happen because he allows. Even like the birds that fall from the sky, a sparrow doesn't do that. And Matthew talks about the sparrow doesn't fall to the ground unless God wills it. You know, coming back to the, to the things that people try to do to extinguish life, you know, have you ever known anybody who tried to commit suicide and it didn't work? I've known two people. One was slitting their wrists. Another was taking a bunch of medicine that it didn't work. Um, but I know that's worked for a lot of people. I, you know, there's stories where people have tried to, to murder people, and that hasn't happened. And even babies that have been aborted, and they still come out. They're still healthy. They might be deformed because there was some part of the procedure that worked, but they still go on to live normal lives. But ultimately... God is in control of all of that because all of life matters to God. It doesn't matter if it's a deformity and we go, you know, we're not, we're not happy with that. It's not what we had anticipated for the birth of our child or, or uh, a grandkid or for somebody else that we see. But God doesn't look and say, ooh, ick, gross, I don't like that. He says, I, I love that baby. I created that baby. I, I have a purpose for that baby. I, I, I wanted a relationship with this baby. And so all of life matters. People go, ooh, ick, but God never does that. He loves everybody the same. And, and verse uh, 16, again, it says, All the days were written for me in your book before one of them came to be. You cannot alter it. But that just goes to show you that there is an ending point to this life. We all know that. I mean, hopefully we don't have to be reminded of that anytime soon. But we know that this life is temporary. But I already told you at the very start that the soul that God gave us that made us more like him, that's eternal. It is going to go on forever and ever. 
And so since we're not going to be just spirits floating through this earth, we have one of two destinations. In Matthew 25, 46, we get a little uh, look at what those two destinations are. Matthew 25, 46, it says, in the, They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Guess what you have there? You have eternal bad, and you have eternal good. You know, the, they, they say it's eternal life, you know, but when, you're, when you, the soul never does die. One, one's obviously a much better place that you want to go to, and it's, it is life, and the other one is death, is separation from God forever, but that soul never ends. I know there's this, this kind of this wish that it would happen, that people who go to hell, that they just they do their time for the crime, and they, they just get extinguished, or how could God let that go on forever? But it says it's eternal. It's torment. It's pain. You don't want to go there, but you don't have to go there. God made it really simple. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And when you're believing, it's not just believing, yep, there was a man named Jesus. We can look in history books and say, yeah, there was a guy named Jesus who lived on the earth who died on a cross. Sure, history proves it. Abraham Lincoln was alive. That doesn't do anything for me. But you're putting your hope and your trust and your confidence in Jesus and what he did to give you eternal life. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. But if you do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, or you say, I'm going to trust something else to get me to heaven, or I don't think anything happens, uh, in 1 John 5.12 it says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You do not have eternal life if you try some other way to get you to heaven besides Jesus. And that's a very scary and a very important thought because God gave you eternity. He gave you that from before you were born. He says, I'm going to create you in my image, and part of that is you're going to have this eternal state. I have a plan. I have made you in a special way, and there is a destiny that you've got to choose. What are you going to do? Are you going to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior or not? But the wages of sin is death, which means you cannot get to heaven apart from Jesus. And I hope that you have made that trust, or you put your faith in Jesus to trust Him for that. If you haven't, I would encourage you to stop right now and to ask Him to be your Savior. You say, I don't get it, I have questions, that's okay. Come and talk to me. After church, uh, email me a question, call me on the phone. I don't care who you are or what your situation is. If you need Jesus, I'm not going to be embarrassed or ashamed or annoyed or anything because we're all in the same boat. Whether we've done the biggest, baddest sin that you can think of or something little and minute, we're all sinners before God who need a Savior. Getting back to the message is, you know, whatever point in life that you're at, your life matters to God. Whether you're, you're five years old, and you're like, hurry up, preacher, get out of here, or whether you're 45, or whether you're like on the brink of going to eternity, your life matters. Whatever age, whatever color, whatever nationality, whether you're male or female, your life matters to God. But so does the life of an unborn baby. So if you find yourself in a situation where, oh no, I'm pregnant and I did not want to be pregnant because I have known that's happened. Even after uh, a missionary friend that I knew, his, his wife got fixed and uh, their kids were like, 15, the youngest one was like 15 or 16 years old. And guess what? She got pregnant. And guess how excited she was about that? She was ready to kill her husband. Like, how could you do this to me? But she kept the baby, and I met the baby when it was like 12 years old, and you know, by now she's hopefully all done, the kid's out of the house and everything. But 
you might find yourself in a situation where I, I didn't want this. This is totally out of the, the game plan. Or you might find yourself the, the mother of your daughter or your son who got a girl pregnant. You go, great, this is going to be so embarrassing. There's so much shame. What are people going to think about this? Or you might find yourself the grandma of, of somebody who's done this. Or you say, I got a friend at school who uh, obviously has been doing things. When I was in, the, I think, the 11th grade, my, I had a class of like 30 like 34 kids, and I'm not kidding you, I think there were four girls in my class that were pregnant. And I'm like, the, the ratio to that, uh, of those who were active and those who weren't, they got caught with it by the, I mean, at least. But people find themselves, and you might find your friend that's in a situation that's like, I don't know what to do. Guess what? Their life matters to God. That little baby, sure, it's, it's maybe shameful, it's embarrassing, the whole life plans changed because I was expecting to go to college or I was expecting my kid to do this. Don't let that life die. Don't snuff it out. Don't try to hide it. That life matters to God. If, if you can keep the baby, great. If not, uh, the Pregnancy Outreach Clinic has tips to help with that. Uh, come talk to me. I mean, I'll, I'll adopt your kid. You know, if, if that's what it takes to keep that baby alive, that life matters to God. That baby's life before the creation of the world God had an image in his mind of what that baby's going to look like, and he had a plan for that baby's life. And he's, he's going to design that baby completely, and there's a destination in mind for that baby. So whatever point in life you're at, or whatever situation you find yourself in down the road, rem remember that all life matters to God. God created you in his image. He loves you. He wants to give you eternity in heaven with him. So take advantage of that, but remember that all life matters to God. Okay? I just want to take, you, take that home with you this week. And uh, just remember, let's, let's thank God for that right now. Dear God, I thank you for my life. God, I thank you for the, my wife. I thank you for my kids. I, I was telling Noah the other day just how much I remember being excited for the day that he was born and how special that was. But I know not, that's not the way for everybody because sometimes things happen in life that's unplanned. And I just pray that, God, that if we come across people who are in that situation who, who don't know what to do, that we would have the courage to help them make the right choice, that they would have the courage to do the right thing. God, could we know that that life matters as much as ours, God. And I pray that we'd be able to share that with others. Thank you, God, for the life that we give. I thank you, God, that you created us in your image and that you made each of us special. And I pray that, God, that you'd help us to be mindful of our destination, God, because uh, you, give, you gave us the option for eternal life, but, God, you have, there's others out there who need to know your gospel as well. So I pray that we would have the ability and the desire to share your faith with them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh